Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Our scripture reading this morning is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12 through the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're using one of the pew Bibles, you will find these verses on page 959. But before we hear the reading and the preaching of God's Word, let us pray and ask for His blessing upon our study here this morning. Father God, this is Your Word. By it You have caused us to be born again to a living hope. And now through it You will nourish us to grow up in that salvation. Father, we pray that Your Spirit would be here, would be with me as I speak, that I would be bold and faithful and clear, and that You would give each of us ears to hear and hearts to receive that we might be renewed and transformed, that we might bring forth the fruit of your word in our lives to the praise of your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. Listen to this. This is the very word of God. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. That is the reading of God's Word. This is, if you're paying attention to the title in the bulletin, our, uh, you'll see uh, it's our fourth sermon on this chapter. Our, first, our fourth sermon concerning spiritual gifts. And, and we are spending the time to look at this chapter and to unpack what Paul has to 
teach us about spiritual gifts as sort of the culmination of the series we did this summer on the communion of the saints. This summer we looked at a number of passages that each highlighted for us the importance of of living in community, the the importance of, of being in fellowship with one another if we are to grow up towards maturity in Christ. And as we saw that the, the, the calling that we have been given is significant, it is profound, but it is also beyond us. It is, it is more than we can bear on our own. And so we, we are forced to, to go to God and say, we are not sufficient for this task. Even Paul had to do that. Even, even Paul had to say, I am not sufficient to be a minister of the gospel. I am not sufficient to, to shepherd your people towards maturity in Christ. And yet while Paul knew himself to be insufficient in himself, he at the same time said, yet I am competent for the work because it is he who makes me sufficient. It is he who gives me my competency. It is the spirit at work in me that allows me to use the gifts that I've been given to build up Christ's body. And the same is true for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us is sufficient for the work that we have been given to do, not in and of ourselves, but because the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And so for the last several weeks, we have been working our way through this teaching on the Spirit that we might know what spiritual gifts are and so that we might know how to use them as God intended, that we might know how to use them in the service of His church. And so, our first Sunday, we, we saw that it is, it is the, the, the Lordship of Jesus Christ that is the goal of all spiritual work, that, that it is in the power of the Spirit that we confess Jesus Christ is Lord and seek to honor Him. Then we saw that, that the gifts that He gives us are, are for the common good of Christ's church, that we honor Christ's Lordship by serving one another and by building one another up towards maturity in Christ. And then last Sunday, we saw... That the Spirit has distributed different gifts to different believers. Everyone is gifted. Everyone who is a believer has has received a gift from the Spirit to to serve the common good. But, But the Spirit gives different gifts to different individuals. To one, He gives one gift. To another, He he gives another. It's what we see at the end of this chapter as as Paul asks a series of rhetorical questions. He says, are all prophets, are all apostles, are all teachers? And the way that he frames those questions uh, leads us to expect an emphatic negative. No, of course not. No, not everyone is an apostle. Not everyone is a prophet. Not everyone is a a teacher. Not everyone speaks in tongues. Not everyone uh, heals. Not everyone does any one of these things. But rather, the Spirit gives gifts... To, to different individuals as He chooses, according to His will. And so the question before us this morning is, is why? <laughs> why does the Spirit do that? Why, why does the Spirit give different gifts to different individuals? Why doesn't He just give everyone what they need that they might grow up towards maturity in Christ? Why does He work the way He, he does? It doesn't seem fair. We, we live in a, in a society that, that prizes fairness. You know, that, that everyone gets a blue ribbon. We, we, we can't have societies anymore where, where different people get different things because it just doesn't seem nice. Why would the Holy Spirit work that way? That's the, that's the question we want to ask. And it's the, the question that Paul is answering here in these verses. And you'll notice that he, he answers that question by appeal to a metaphor, the metaphor of the body. Notice he says four. Now that four points us back. He says, he says, this, this different giving, you know, the, this, this different distribution of the gift according to the Spirit's will, the reason for that 
is this, that just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And so Paul says that the the Spirit distributes gifts as he does because the church is like a physical body. Now we we know how our physical bodies work. Our our physical bodies have have different members. They have different parts. We have hands and feet. You know, we have have different uh, pieces. You know, we used probably sang that song as a a kid about, you know, this bone's connected to that bone. And together we we get the, the full body. That the body is made up of, of many members, and yet we know that while we have fingers and we have hands and we have wrists and, and we have legs and we have ears, we, we are still one. We are one body. This body is, is my body. It's a, it's a singular unit, though it is made up of many parts. And Paul says it's that way with Christ. Now that in and of itself is surprising. Think about what Paul just said. He says, so it is with Christ. Now, what would we expect Paul to say there? We would expect him to say, so it is with the church. And we know that when Paul says, so it is with Christ, he's, he's talking about the church. In fact, he says it explicitly in verse 27. Glance down there. He says, now you are the body of Christ. But, but he just says it. He just says, so it is with, with Christ. And I think there's a, a profound lesson just in that choice of Words. It's a lesson that Paul himself first learned on the road to Damascus. Do you remember when Paul was on his way to Damascus? He was on his way to arrest and, and to bring back to Jerusalem the Christians whom he could, could find there. But of course, on the road to Damascus, he encountered Christ. Christ, uh, the, the resurrected Christ, in all his glory, knocked him off his horse and, and said, Paul, what are you doing? And then he asked him a question. He said, Paul, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? You're persecuting my people. You're persecuting my church. And therefore you are persecuting me. And in saying it that way, Jesus was identifying with his people. And he was having his people identify with him. And he was emphasizing the mysterious union that exists between Christ and his church. Such that Christ could say, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. When you persecute them, you, you persecute me. And if, and if you are among those who have believed in Christ, if you are among those who, who have rested upon Him for salvation, then you are included in the me. You are included in those who are Christ, who are His body. And that, that teaches us two, I think, vitally important lessons. You know, the first is that, is that our identity is found in Him. We are part of His body because we are in Christ. It is, it is in Christ that we are members of His body. You know, there's, there's great debate today about whether or not uh, you know, everyone worships the same God, particularly whether or not Muslims and, and Christians worship the same God. But other religions get flo- thrown in there too. And the, and the question is, well, you know, can't we all just get along? Don't we all just worship the same God? Isn't it all really the, the same? Aren't we all climbing the same mountain? This is the, the, the modern mindset, or I should say the postmodern mindset, that, that yeah, we're all kind of going in the same direction. But the Bible itself will not let us affirm that. The Bible itself says, listen, it is in Christ that we have our identity. It is only in Christ that we are reconciled to the Father. 
If you do not worship God through Christ and in Christ, if you are not united to, to Christ, then you are not part of His body. You are not part of the people of God. And you certainly are not worshiping the same God. If you are worshiping a God who will receive you apart from Christ, it's not the God who has revealed Himself in Scripture. You do not come to the Father except through Christ. It is in Christ that we have our identity. We don't say that to be mean. We say that because it's true. We say that because, listen... We long for you to, to receive and rest upon the Savior and join yourself to this church to receive all the blessings. They are, they are made available to all. The Father so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish and have eternal life. But it is in Him. It is through believing in Him. And so we, we plead with you to, to believe upon this Savior because there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. You, you cannot negotiate another settlement. You cannot negotiate another way. It is in Christ that we have our identity. But notice this, that, that those who believe in Christ, Christ identifies with them. He claims them. The author of Hebrews tells us he is not ashamed to call us brothers. We are His body. We are His people in Christ. We have our identity. And so we, Paul can say simply that so it is with Christ. The, the church is one body because we're all united to Christ where there is one body with, with many members. Just as our physical bodies have hands and, and feet and noses and ears and eyes, so too it is in the church. The church is one body composed of many members. There are, there are a diversity of, of individuals, a diversity of, of people who are part of this body. In fact, Paul will, will tell us it's Jews and it's Greeks, it's slaves and it's, it's frees. It, it crosses ethnic and cultural boundaries. It, it crosses you know, the, the socioeconomic boundaries. It, and those things just don't matter. That if you are in Christ, you are part of this body. You are a member of this body. And because you are a member of this one body, you have one calling. But we each have a different role to play because there are different parts. We, we, we may do different things. The, the way we, we work it out may look different from, from person to person. But we have a single calling to exalt the Lordship of Christ and to, to serve His kingdom in this world. But we do it in different ways. And you know, there are many illustrations of this. The, the human body is, is one, but we could, we could think of many more. You know, uh, the football season has started. I don't know how many of you like to watch football. I have to say, I like to watch football. And yesterday afternoon, I was watching the Georgia game with my, with my son. And so we were, we were watching. And when you watch football, you, you recognize that there are different people on the team. They're shaped very differently. There are some people who are like, you know, refrigerator-sized people. You know, 300 pounds and big and round. And, and they have a certain job to do. There are other people who are much swifter and much more agile, and, and they have a certain job to do. There are, there are other people who handle the ball in every place, some people who just never touch it. But it is only as each one does its part that the team is able to accomplish its purpose. I am sure the coach of Georgia would tell you that, that it was this person or that person or this person not doing their job that didn't allow them to execute and didn't allow them to, to do what they wanted to do as they played the game yesterday. But of course, it's not just sports teams. There are all kinds of, of illustrations where each one does his part. Any community is that way. We, we live in a town. We, we live in a city called, called Cleveland. And here in Cleveland, if this community is going to work, different people have to do different jobs. 
We need people who, who teach our kids. We need people who pave the roads. We need people who keep the water running and keep the, the power on. We, we need people who, who are police officers and can keep the peace. We actually even need government officials, people to, to run the government. We, we need these things. We need people to do these jobs because it's the way community works. And Paul says that's the way it is in the church. Different people have to do different things because that's the way a body works. The church needs preachers and and teachers, but it also needs all kinds of other people too. It needs people who can simply speak a word of encouragement in the in the hall. You've probably experienced this, have you not? You know, you you come to church and you vaguely remember what the preacher said, but what but what really ministered to you was that that brief word of encouragement that was spoken to you in the hall, or that that brief prayer that was offered for you by the by the water cooler. That's where the Holy Spirit ministered to you on that particular. Morning. There, we need people to to keep the building in order. We need people to to pay the bills so the lights stay on. We we need people to uh, to do all kinds of things in order for this church to be able to fulfill its mission. We say that we exist to to glorify God by making mature disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the the mission that has been given to us. But that only happens as each part does. Its part, as, as each member plays the role that it's been given to play. And so because a community requires all these different roles to be fulfilled, the Holy Spirit gifts different people to do different things. He says, because the church is like a body of, of many members, but, but one body, so the Holy Spirit, who, who sees the big picture, who knows all the different things that need to be given, the Holy Spirit chooses what roles to give and what gifts to distribute to the members of the body. But notice what he says about how this unity came about. How is it that the church became a community? How is it that the church became a, a unity? How did this unity out of diversity come about? Well, Paul tells us in verse 13. He says, the, the church is like the body. He says, for, so it is with Christ, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. The thing we have to recognize is that people in the church are not naturally one body. It's not something that just happens automatically. The unity of the, of the church is, is not natural. It is not, it is not just um, something that, that happens. It is something that is brought about through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is something that is mysterious, something that is spiritual. We are one because we have all been baptized in the Spirit into one body. It is Spirit baptism that brings us all together to make us one. So what is this baptism of the Spirit that that Paul is talking about? Well, it is something that was predicted by John. Do you remember all the way back at the beginning, John was was baptizing in the wilderness. And and he said, as the people come to him, he said, listen, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that was a, a prophecy that was fulfilled at Pentecost. When Christ rose ten days after his ascension, he poured out upon his church the Holy Spirit. And he, he poured out his spirit in such a way that his people were filled with the Holy Spirit. Who were, they were enabled by the Holy Spirit now to, to be new creatures in Christ. And, and Paul makes it clear. He says, listen, this is the experience of every believer. Every believer has been sealed with the Holy Spirit, he says in Ephesians. 
Every believer has received the spirit of, of adoption and can cry out, Abba, Father. Every believer has received the Holy Spirit so much so that Paul can say in Romans that if you do not have the Spirit, you do not have Christ. You cannot be in Christ without having the Spirit. You cannot have the Spirit apart from being in Christ. And so when we have been baptized with the Spirit, when we have been filled with the Spirit, when we have been sealed with the Spirit, we, we now have the Spirit, the mysterious power of God at work in us who believe. That we are now animated by the Spirit. We, we are now being recreated by the Spirit. We now have the power of the Spirit to walk in in newness of life. So much so that Paul can say in Galatians that it is as we walk in the Spirit, as we we are led by this Spirit, that we bring forth the the fruit of the Spirit that he describes for us in in the book of Galatians. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the the gentleness, the the self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit at work in those who have been empowered by the Spirit, who, who walk in the Spirit. Now in this present evil age, in this age of already, not yet, we, we have to consciously keep in step with the Spirit. There is a command there. We, we have the Spirit, but we have to be filled with the Spirit. We, we have the Spirit, but we have to walk in the Spirit. But, but it is as we walk in the Spirit that we experience the unity for which we were created. In fact, notice this, the second metaphor that, that Paul uses. We, we might mark off if we were his English teacher. You know, he's not supposed to mix your metaphors here. But, but he, he uses two separate images. First, he, he speaks of being baptized in the Spirit. Then he speaks of drinking the Spirit. And it's an image that echoes back to Psalm 46. Psalm 46, speaking of the, the city of God, speaks about that, that river which makes glad. That, that river which runs through the city. That, that source of life and sustenance. And in the New Testament, Jesus picks up on that image and says, that sustenance, that river, that is the Spirit of God which wells up in believers becoming to them a a stream of of living water, a spring of life in their very hearts. That is the Spirit. And it's because we have been baptized in that Spirit, because we have drunk deeply of those living waters, that we are now united, that we are now members of Christ, that we are now part of His one body. And because by our, our baptism with the Spirit, because of drinking deeply of the Spirit, because we have been united and made into one body, there are some profound implications that Paul wants to unpack for us. First, he says, because you are one, because you have this unity in diversity, it doesn't make you all the same, but it does make you all one. And because you are all one, the first thing that he says is, the foot cannot therefore say to uh, any other part of the body, I'm not part of the body. I'm not like you, therefore I don't count. The foot cannot say, I am not part of the body. In other words, those who, who see themselves as less significant, those who, who see themselves as, as having a less important role to play, they cannot say to the rest of the body, well, because I don't have one of the honored positions, because I don't have a position that I think is, is more glorious, because I'm not an I, I'm not part of the body. I don't count. Now, it would be interesting at this point to, to take a poll and to say, which are the gifts that you consider most honorable? Which are the gifts that you consider to be the most prestigious? Which are the the more valuable roles to play in your opinion? Because the answer to that question has not been the same in every culture and every every place. In, In Corinth, it seems 
that, that, the, that the gift that they prized was tongues. That was, that was at the heart of, of, of the controversy in Corinth, is that there were those who, who were prizing tongues above all other gifts. And they said, this is the true manifestation of the Spirit. It's the, it is the people who, who speak in tongues who are truly spiritual. And there are still, in, in God's church, places where tongues is the valued gift. I'm willing to guess that that's probably not the case for most people in this room this morning. Maybe for some, maybe, maybe if that's your background, but for, for many people in this room this morning, tongues is not really the gift that they're coveting. <laughs> tongues is, is not the gift that they would say, well, that's the most important. You know, in our circles, we, we value different gifts. Maybe it's preaching and teaching. Maybe, maybe it's evangelism. You know, I don't know what it would be for you. We, we might value different gifts, but it doesn't really matter which gift we place at the top of the pecking order. Paul's uh, uh, instruction still applies. He says, no matter which gifts you regard as most important, the fact of the matter is, is if you have one of the ones that you regard as less important, you cannot say, therefore, I'm not part of the body. Because you're all part of the body. All the gifts are, are given by the Spirit according to the, the Spirit's will. And therefore, you must be thankful for the gift that you have been given. And you must use it to the praise of His glory in the service of His church. So the first thing that we see is that the foot cannot say, well, because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body. But it goes the other way as well. Notice what Paul says. Second, he says, the eye cannot say to any other part of the body, the eye cannot say to the hand, and the eye cannot say to the foot, well, you know, I just don't need you. I'm the important part here. I can can do this myself. And so the second implication that that Paul derives is he says, listen, you know, those parts of the body that we think have the more glory, the the more honor those parts that we think of as more important, they need the body if they're going to function properly. I was trying to remember what movie it came out of, but I remember seeing a scene in a, in a football movie one time where, you know, you have the, the cocky quarterback and he's back there, you know, talking about how great he is. And so the linemen just decide at one point that they're going to show him that this quarterback probably can't do it if they don't do their jobs. And so there's a certain play in a certain game where they just all decide just to step aside. And, of course, the quarterback gets crushed. And the, the, the linemen are trying to teach the, the quarterback, listen, you can't do this on your own. You need us. We have to do our job, too, if you're going to do your job. There, there are certain people who, who get the glory. There are, there are certain people who do the things that we consider to be honorable. But Paul says, listen, those pieces cannot say to the rest of the body, I have no need of you. Those with so-called greater gifts need those with the so-called lesser gifts to do their job if the common good of the whole body is going to be served. There are certain men who who I go to regularly to be fed by the Word. I, I think of Tim Keller. I think of, of John Piper. I, I buy their books. I listen to their podcasts. I, I am thankful for the gifts that God has given them to build up the church. And I am thankful that their gifts are, are extended beyond the reach of their local congregations. That, that me, living here, even though they're up in Minnesota or up in, up in New York, that I can benefit, that I can put my headphones in and listen to Keller preach as I run on a Saturday morning. That is an amazing amazing gift. But, but the reality is, is that that wouldn't happen if there weren't many, many people doing their jobs. There's someone who knows how to use a recorder, and there's someone who knows how to upload that to the internet and, and create a podcast. And, and that seems silly and, and light, but, but think of the benefit that the gifts that those men have. Think of how their gifts have been multiplied 
Because they have been served by others. Because God's church has been filled with people who have done their job. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about. He says, listen, there are certain gifts that sort of get the glory. But the church will only accomplish its purpose when each one is doing its part. In my life, I've, I've witnessed two sort of tragic NASA accidents. I I happened to be be home watching live on on both occasions. And if you were my age, you you probably remember both of these these tragic accidents, both of of these um, uh, catastrophes. And and if you remember the the events, you probably remember that as they, they, in the aftermath, as they looked to find out what would happen, in both cases they found out that it was a very small part that failed. It was an O-ring or it was one little tile. And that one failure, that one failure of the small part led to utter devastation. And it's a reminder to us. It's a reminder to us that in this world, the roles that we have been given have been assigned to us by God. And we must do those roles if the whole mission is going to be accomplished. If the church is going to do what it has been called to do the, the preacher, the, the teacher, the evangelist, they cannot say, I do not need you. Because they simply cannot do what they've been gifted to do if the rest of the body is not working properly. In fact, God says we ought to go out of our way to make sure that the, those parts that seem less honorable get honor and get glory so that there will not be divisions in the body. Those with the more prominent gifts ought to go out of their way to honor the rest of the body and to to give them thanks for the part that they play. In fact, Paul says, listen, that, that we ought to take the parts that seem less honorable and we ought to give them honor because what is the reality? The reality is, is that it is when any part of the body gets honor, the whole body is honor. The glory is Christ's glory. And therefore, all the parts share in it individually. The the preacher has no honor in himself. He doesn't do anything. He simply speaks the words. It is God who gives the growth. All the glory is his, and therefore we all share in it together. And equally, when one part of the body feels useless, when one part of the body feels that, that what it does doesn't matter, the whole body suffers. And so therefore, we must remember that we are one Body. We must be thankful for the gifts we have. We must use them to the glory of God. And we must give honor to one another. We're sometimes reluctant to do that. But, but think of Paul, thinking of, you know, looking at Epaphras. He says, listen, honor such people. Honor him. Give, give honor to those who are doing their work. Honor those who, who are using their gifts in the service of the king. So that together we all might be encouraged. So that together we all might accomplish the goal that has been given us to do. So how do we learn to do this? How do we learn to exist and to relate and to work as as one body? If you know anything about human nature, you you know it doesn't happen automatically. You you know it doesn't happen easily. In fact, it is our our selfishness that that hinders us from living together as as one body. And that's true both of the foot that's saying I'm not part of the body and of the eye that is saying I don't need you. They're they're both motivated by the same selfishness. They're both motivated by the same self-concern. The the foot says I'm not part of the body because I don't have an important role to play. I, I desire something more prestigious. And the eye says, my glory needs to be protected, so therefore I don't want anybody else encroaching upon my space. So how do we learn to overcome that that inborn selfishness that is ours through our fall into 
sin. Paul says that there is a way that this mind can become ours, and it is through the one who had every right to grasp glory but didn't. You see, there was one who was equal with God from all eternity, living in in eternal glory with His Father. And Paul tells us in Philippians that, that though he was equal with God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, becoming a servant. He was willing to submit to His Father's will. He was willing to to humble Himself. He was willing to do what He had been given to do, even though it seemed dishonoring, even though it seemed repugnant, even though it seemed small. He was willing to do what He had been given to do, to be obedient even to the point of death. And through His obedience... He gained the greater glory. Paul tells us that because he obeyed even to death, the Father exalted him. And now all glory and honor and praise is his for all eternity. And so, Paul says, in him, as we look to him as our Savior, as we rest in him as our Lord, his mind becomes ours. And we are able to say, I don't need my own glory. All the glory I need is in him. So that the psalmist is right when he says, listen, even a doorkeeper in his house has greater glory than a prince elsewhere. We don't need to strive for glory. All the glory we need is ours simply in him. Therefore, we can do what he has given us to do with all joy, knowing that in him we have all the glory that we need. And because that glory is ours in Him, because in Him we are honored as the image bearers and the children of God, because such glory is available to us in Christ, that is why we celebrate this as good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we do rejoice in Your goodness. How good it is to know, Father, that You have made us part of Your body, that that. That together through faith we are in Christ and we are members of His body and that His glory is ours. Father God, I pray that You would cause these truths to to sink down deep. That we would know we stand upon the single foundation of Christ. And because we stand upon Him, we can now do what He has given us to do with joy. Whether to us it seems big or small. Father, give us this freedom, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.